Hello, good evening, good night, and welcome to another edition of the Green Beach Podcast. Welcoming back for a little from a little hiatus on my left, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige in the green shirt. And with us again is friend and family of the show, Mr. Justin Marvel of hashtag this just in. Justin first, how are you doing, my brother? I think you know how I'm doing, but that's why y'all brought me here. <laughs> well, we had we had agreed that we would have had you for the end of the regular season. Okay. That was before we had like unfortunately we didn't have a crystal ball like um like Doug not Doug, yeah like Doug Peterson to see the whole things are gonna unfold. So <laughs> we are just glad that you are here with us. Um, AJ, welcome back, sir. How has Thank it you. been? Ah, hectic. As you, as you may or may not have known, I was moving into a new place, and you know how the stress of moving can be. So, it was a lot to deal with, especially given the fact that my wife and I decided to undertake this task on our own selves. <laughs> I had to drive a U-Haul and things for the first time. I felt, I felt the effects of it. I feel like I still am, um, but. <laughs> Just glad to be in a new space, new host, new beginnings for 2023. So, you know, all of that. Nice. Correct. And, of course, this is the first show that we have had since the the calendar has turned. So we do thank everyone who has been with us through all of 2022. We would not be here if it was not for you guys. And we, you know, we solicited your continued support as we head into this new year. No, of course, after 271 and a quarter games, the regular season is behind us, and we're headed now into the playoffs. As happens at the end of every season, some coaches are looking for new employment, while others have received a stay of execution. But we'll get to the coaches in a second. Since we were last here, the NFL universe united behind a common cause, that being DeMar Hamlin, the Bills' safety, who collapsed with a heart attack after a routine tackle on the Bengals' T. Higgins. Hamlin, thank God, has been released from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center to the Buffalo General Medical Center Gates Vascular Institute. And he was awake to watch the Buffalo Bills take on the New England Patriots on Sunday. It was a footballing weekend full of thrills and spills. I mean, I think now is probably the most accurate time or the best time to admit that none of our teams are in the playoffs this season. Not the Patriots, not the Saints, not the Packers. Mm-hmm. So let's, that's me ripping the bandaid off. So as we go off the rip in four-down territory, you know how we do. We always start with the biggest winner of the weekend. So Justin, as always, we come to you first. Who was the biggest winner this weekend? Um... Like, I was going to say the most impressive win was San Fran's win over Arizona, but, like, anybody probably could do that. Like, I could take Wilkie Cumberbatch and, and, and uh, <laughs> beat um, the Cardinals. The biggest winner, I would say, probably the Seahawks. The win wasn't impressive enough, but, you know, obviously they had to defeat a uh, division rival and then quote from a... Packers to wet the bed, and both of those things indeed happened. So for them to sneak in and grab that 
seventh spot. Like you didn't have um, destiny in their own hands. Like they had to win and on, on, on hope for someone else to do their job. So the biggest winners, I'd say, won eight of them. But really and truly, the biggest winners, despite losing ten straight games, is probably the Chicago Bears, because you no, know, <laughs> Lovey Smith, being the real Chicago general himself, did y'all one favor, gave y'all a coveted number one overall pick which they probably are not going to use themselves and uh, they're likely going to get a bevy of bevy of, of 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 draft capital just for that number one pick and if there's any one team in the entire nfl that needs that bevy of, of draft capital it is chicago so despite losing 10 in a row yeah boy I, i'd say chicago's the biggest winner <laughs> this weekend yeah boy that is a that's an interesting sw- switch there because we, the biggest winner was a loser so, AJ, what about you? Who did you have as your biggest winner for this week? Well, you won't believe that Justin just skimmed me right up because, well, <laughs> because that is exactly who I had as my biggest winner, the Chicago Bears, because I, for the same reasons he just listed, the Bears are now in a position where the, the projected number one overall pick is a quarterback. They're not going to take a quarterback. They don't need a quarterback. What they need right now is draft capital and, and to continue building this young team which they can't continue to do if they were to trade away that number one pick. And we know as many young quarterbacks uh, 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 that have been taking, taken in the last few drafts, there's still a few teams out there that need to get some. The Texans being one of those teams that were lining up, they're probably, the, the top brass was probably licking at the, licking their chops, just, just waiting for the end of that game. But, but lovely, like you said, Justin, a real, a real general through a truth. Man, just spoil the entire plans. <laughs> I'd spoil the entire plan. Lovey knew he was going to get the axe, so he was like, all right, cool. That, for this final week, man had the entire team rally around him and win. Both teams in that game, um, Texans, of course, will be looking for a quarterback. The Texans had the upper hand until, you know, Lovey Smith. So, now <laughs> the ball is in the Chicago Bears court, and it has to be, like, a good feeling because – there are 31 other GMs that know that the Bears are not going to take a quarterback. There's no way they're giving up on a Justin Fields project right now. So there you go. There you have it. Make us an offer we can't refuse. And, and you have to you have to come real good to get that number one pick. But it puts them in prime position. So I'll just add on a bit more because honestly, I don't see any other big winners from this week. So it had to be there for me. <laughs> and just remember what San Francisco got for number three pick. They got like, not San Francisco, sorry. What San Francisco gave up to get that gave number up, three? Pick. Yeah, yeah. They gave up what three first rounders. So just imagine what the Bears are going to get because everyone is going to try to move up ahead of Houston mm-hmm. to get Exactly. So, well, I actually didn't go the same direction that you two did. For me, <clears throat> I thought that the biggest winner this week was obviously the Bills. Now, credit to the Patriots who gave as good as they could. But just like when the Saints played the Falcons at the reopening of the Superdome post-Katrina, some things are inevitable. Like Naeem Hines getting the first kick return for a touchdown for Buffalo in three years and three months, all in honor of number three. New England seemed not interested in playing you know, coverage on special teams because they gave Hines another chance and he took another one back to the house. I was waiting to see if he was going to get three in that category as well, but they just didn't kick to him after that. Of course, this game was bigger than football for the Bills in the city of Buffalo, and this gave them a cathartic moment to celebrate together as a team, as a city, 
and to continue to rally around Demar and his recovery. So AJ, I'm sorry, but you 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 just had to to eat it this week because that's just the way the stars are laid. If you if you, I don't I'm not sure if I don't think we had conversations after week 17, but. I'm just, all I'm saying is that I wasn't even excited after the Week 17 win, knowing that the Dolphins and I were going in with that record because I was looking at the teams that we had to play. And I told, I told one of my other um, Patriots fans, friends, like, okay, those, just don't get excited because we are going to get Molly Watt in Week 18. <laughs> you see this thing? You see this, this unity that, that's now surrounding Buffalo? That is a real thing. Yes. And I didn't see any way possible that we are going to win that. Like, no way at all. None. The I'm not. I'm not surprised. I'm not upset. Here's what the it only, is. The only way that that New England could have possibly won that game is if the emotion was too much for Buffalo. If they were not able to keep themselves under control in this game because of everything that had happened, that was the only way that New England would have stood a chance. Because you know, Tanner Wise, Buffalo is already better than New England. And then uh, when you put all of the team spirit, the camaraderie, and the crowd, you know, we talk about the 12 in Seattle, but that probably must have felt like 14 in Buffalo mm. because that crowd was jumping before kickoff. So, yeah, there just was no way. Yeah, the crowd would have been too much alone, right? Because, like you said, to handle emotions would have been tough. But then when you have the crowd with you and the crowd is going to carry you with the others, like... New England did a good job of battling back to 14 all, but they never stood a chance. Like talent ways and then the crowd carry you. Like, mm. I'll, I'll just say to end it so we could move on from this disaster of a segment. Um, <laughs> that while while I do agree that 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 may have been the only way, like if the emotions were too much for them to overcome, the fact that Demar Hamlin, God bless his soul, um, was able to actually like be responsive and speak to the team before. Like there's, I don't think he could write a movie script better than that. That's why I said I don't think we stood a chance. The fact that they knew he was okay, they mm. were all unified in playing for him. So it is what it is. We move again. I'll see this. I'll see the same story next year. Terrible offense and probably a really good defense. Yeah, as you said, we move and we move now to second down, which is the biggest loser of the weekend. I mean, we talked about a couple of losers. So Justin, kick us off. Who who was the biggest loser this weekend? I mean, they could just answer for all three of us and let's keep this segment short. Like, <laughs> that, that helmet behind me. Like, I don't think anyone else has any different um, winner here. Like, the reality situation is everything was laid out in front of you. You didn't need any help. You're playing at home, a division rival that you have accustomed for decades and decades of success against. Um, Seattle basically rendered the game meaning, well, what you thought would have been meaningless for Detroit. And I don't know what more, forget the word motivation, what else did you need? Your home, you're in front of your home fans. You going into that game, I think PFF rated us the healthiest team of the, the, the 32. So like, you have everyone, no one's hurt. You have your home crowd, a division rival you're accustomed beating, and not only just that, a division rival who has no history of success on the road. Far less now, both feel like on the road. Dan Campbell, before that, I think, has two road wins in his entire coaching career. And, you know, forgive me, but I'm going to just go on and on. Like, 
you 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 struggle in the red zone. Like you wasted all those red zone trips. So when I saw that we left the first half, then you said we we're gonna lose this game. Like, that's obvious that you wasted your pretend your chances to go at least twenty one six. And then I could go on and talk about how bad the coaching was, but I'm gonna save that for a very late segment. Um, I'm going to talk about the ill-discipline, and that is a reflection of the coach. The coach at least came out and admitted that. When you look, um, again, Quay Walker, second ejection for the season, they stupidly shoving the Detroit medical staff when it was clear he was just trying to get the player. Granted, is a former college teammate of his, but like after a while, you saw it was, forget it, whether it was an opposing player or medical staff or team personnel, like, what are you doing? Um, Rasul Douglas walking up to the lane of scrimmage when he field goals about to kick and move the ball, then shoving somebody like, why were you walking in there in the first place? And then they were lucky that the rest missed the blatant headshot after the guy was tackled that led to the situation with, with um, Quay Walker. Like, those are three acts of Ill- ill-discipline in a must-win game at home. And uh, we don't have to talk about how inept uh, Aaron Rodgers was especially down um, in the fourth quarter. I think he went two for six with that interception. And then the coaching. Again, I'm just going to keep it short here with the coaching because they really plan to put LaFleur on blast. But again, like early in the first half, I called every every second interception that came. I called it. I mean, in laws were looking at me, like, how can you see this? I said, but how can you not? This team, as I said, is built to be or should have been built to be a run first team. And every time they went five wide or with an empty backfield, a sack came or an interception came and the interception that was called back. Like, like, I don't understand how incompetent could you be not to realize that you had to be in run formations the entire game. You leave first, um, what's the kid out there? You leave a backup right tackle one-on-one with Aiden Hutchinson. Then you sub him out, put in Zach Tom. I leave him one-on-one with Aiden Hutchinson. The result was all the same. Then you go into the red zone. You know you want to run A.J. Dillon up in a power football. But instead of coming out in a run formation, you do that in shotgun. Giving the boy no head of steam, no momentum going to the lane. And then you surprise when you have to set up the field goals in the red zone. It was just completely an utter incompetence. You didn't need Sayal to help you out. You had everything in front of you. A team you're accustomed to beating. A team that does not win on the road. You had health and you had your fans and you put up 16 points in the must win game all right <laughs> what about you AJ? do you agree with justin or do you have somebody else no i fully agree with justin however i knew that justin was going to mention his team because there was a lot there to mention and i wanted i wanted our brother to be able to get that out without me adding further insult to injury right so i mean I agree that the Packers were the biggest loser in the NFL for this weekend, but I'm going to go a little bit off script here, right? I'm not even going to mention the NFL. I'm glad that we're doing this on a Tuesday night because I get to mention what happened on Monday night. <laughs> I think the biggest losers in the sport of football in the weekend are college football fans. Not not a team, college football fans. Now, Ken, I know you're, you're, you're saying that you, you know you just can't get into it. And, and granted, like I told you all on Monday night when I was opening up about that, like, my interest in college football is more so seeing these young players develop over the few seasons. That's why I don't, I don't like necessarily hate on any program or dislike any. I just kind of like to see these youngsters develop and then take their talents into the NFL who may be drafted, undrafted, and then watch their stories unfold, right? It allows me to live vicariously. 
I mean, at some point in time, I'm pretty sure we all wanted to be professional athletes. Life took us in a different direction, but that's kind of why we are sports fans and we have players and teams and you know, just to be a part and live vicariously. That being said, imagine a situation where there is a, a, a panel or committee to select the teams that would go into a playoff. And then there's, there's no, Ken, I'm, I'm not sure if, but you remember, remember a few weeks ago, we did have this discussion and you said you didn't even know who TCU were. Yes. You didn't know anything about them, right? Mm -hmm. Ken, and I told you, the only reason I know TCU is because I know live in Texas and I work in a store where we sell TCU gear, right? Just this one. That's the only way I knew about TCU, to be fair. There were, uh, there were conversations taking place before the college football playoffs. And a lot of the, the vitriol that was being spewed was the fact that a lot of people did not think that TCU deserved to be in that four. Hogwash. Exactly. Exactly. And then look what happened last night. Now, granted, they did win a game to get there. But, but on Monday night, TCU did not look like they belonged anywhere near Georgia. <laughs> They didn't look like they belong anywhere. And the scoreline is one thing, right? But if you're actually watching the game, and I, I continue to passively watch it beyond, Ken, when we said we were going to tune out. I just kind of had it as background noise. And I was just looking and like I had um, ended up tweeting, it was a training session for Georgia. And obviously, you know, the football fans, uh, of um, college football fans are up in arms because, well, like, what exactly was that? What exactly was that? And there are better... Now, the thing is, the thing is about selecting these teams, they're supposed to select the four best teams, not necessarily like the most deserving based on record. But that's kind of what they did. You could tell that this panel wanted a Cinderella story and, and based on how TCU's, uh, based on TCU's record, that they wanted to put them in. But look, it ended up completely backfiring. This wasn't even a game. It was a Georgia training session. Imagine, could you imagine three of us support three World Cup winning teams? Could you imagine if a panel had to select four teams and they select your Brazil, Ken, and your Italy, Justin, and my France, and then throw in USA because, well, USA dominated the Gold Cup. And then we see USA possibly beat one of us, but then get mollywopped by another team in the final. And we're like, well, they shouldn't have even been here. We would always say that, that you know, that they don't belong in that caliber of team. That's exactly kind of what happened. Uh, no, go ahead, AJ, sorry. No, I was just saying that that's, that's basically how football fans feel. Like, y'all know, all three of us live in the United States, y'all know how big the college football fandom runs here. This pro, these programs bring in a lot of money. College football is a huge deal. Like, it, it is, it's like, oh, into school sports back, back home, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I think the fans were robbed of, of uh, a good on-field, or even, even some semblance of a good on-field product by... The that panel allowing TCU to be one of the four. Only you, you only need four teams, you know. And I think they they were robbed by, by TCU being one of those four. Like we we all know all of the teams that are usually in and about there every single season. But this was a travesty, though. I will be fair. All right, first Ken should know TCU because his starting quarterback is one of the more famous alums of Texas Christian University. That's none other than the Red Rocket. I'm sure that the Red Rocket is from TCU. But second, yeah, yeah, he's from so, Texas. So, to TCU's credit, like, like when you looked at the forum, and I followed this season very closely, um, like up until their conference championship loss, like it was like 
it, it was hard pressed to say TCU was not one of the four best teams in the country. Like, it really was like I know a lot of people wanted to push Alabama, but you just couldn't put them in like a two loss Alabama, who had an awful like he lost to Tennessee, and Alabama obviously lost to Georgia, almost lost the third. I think they may have lost the third. Um, Cause they had troubles with Texas and whatever. Not like when you see the resume, I used to talk at the two resumes. Like outside of maybe Georgia, TCU had the best resume of the four, so it would have been hard pressed to sleep. And then when like you know USC loses their conference championship game, like you could not justify leaving out TCU. Like you just couldn't. And again, to TCU's credit, like Michigan. You know, they played arguably the second best team in the country, Michigan, in that conf, um, in the playoff semifinal. And Michigan went to bed against them. So, like, they did. when you look at that Michigan team, like, you figured this was at the very least the second best team in the country. And TCU beat them. And TCU almost beat them running away. Like, Michigan had to have a couple rallies. So, to be fair, you know, I think TCU belonged. The only issue is, is that, they run up against a Georgia that they just did not match up well against. Like, like, like you know, like they got matchups that you that you just don't want to see. That was the game. Like, had Texas Christian University played Ohio State, we probably would have gotten a better national championship game. But they just think, like in every level of football, Georgia's just better than them. So Dale, who's joined us, he said that he switched last night in the second half. I applaud you, Dale. That you made it to the second half because I when I tuned in when I when I started watching the game, the score was already seven all, and then it quickly became fourteen seven when um, TCU could not figure out what they were trying to do on defense, and they had a complete bust in the secondary, and it became fourteen seven, and then the TCU quarterback threw that horrible interception. Sorry, he didn't throw the horrible interception yet. Um, Georgia were going at 10 yards to play. How do you play defense against a team and allow them to get a first down on every first down? That is that is absolutely abysmal. So then TCU has to punt. Georgia comes right back down the field. Now the score is 21 to 7. And then the score is 24 to 7, and the quarterback throws an interception by overshooting everyone. And at that point, I was like, there's absolutely no way that I'm giving this any more of my time or my electricity, and I turned that game off. I peeked back somewhere during the third quarter. I went on ESPN.com because I was doing my prep for the show tonight, and I saw that the score was 45 to 7. I was like, oh, wait a second. They're not even going to score again? And I never looked back again, and then I heard today that the score finished at like 65 to 7. So... Yeah, I really can't argue. I can't argue with either of you, honestly, because Green Bay definitely went to bed. TCU. Wait, I just wanted to say one before you get into it, Ken. I just, you know, Justin, I I didn't want to interrupt your monologue, but I did want to say I just I I understand what you're saying where you can justify putting them in, but I also think there were options to put in that could have been justified as well. I, I, yeah, they, TCU had the one loss, but some of those two lost teams were still a better program. I still think Tennessee was better than, than TCU this season. Up until, I'd say that when they beat Alabama, but then afterwards, Tennessee has some bad losses. And then it's going to hard to justify 
putting them in when they didn't even make their own conference title game. Like, it's really hard. Like, you're going to ask a two-loss Tennessee to get in over a TCU that only has one loss, and their one loss came in the conference uh, finally. It's going to be hard to get to play that. The Kansas State, though. Yeah. <laughs> and then, again, they justified them being there by beating Michigan. So. That's big. Sorry, Ken. You can go ahead. I just needed to. I, I, I think yeah. they were wrong. Anyway. So, so Dale said that you didn't have to interrupt um, Justin's monologue. You, know, <laughs> yeah, you sound like Shannon. Um, <laughs> so, I'll just be really quick on what I had written down here. I mean, I was thinking that, you know, you really couldn't be a bigger loser than the Cowboys. I, I would probably put the Cowboys on par with probably Green Bay. TCU is probably the biggest loser of all. But, I mean, yeah, there is the Packers, but I want to go after the Cowboys here for a second. You're playing a divisional game against a good defensive front. Somebody needs to tell the commentators that Washington has a good defensive front because everything that we were hearing in this game was how poor the Cowboys' offensive line was not holding up. I couldn't open up any running, running holes for the running backs. But the Washington Commanders has four first-round picks on their front. So let's just get out there. Now, you see the Eagles are struggling against the Giants' backups. The 49ers are hammering the Cardinals. You are playing your starters to try to get some rhythm heading into the playoffs, and you have nine three-and-outs, including five in a row. That Prescott goes 14 of 37, 128 yards, one touchdown, one pick. He has seven consecutive games with a pick. This one was a pick six. Tony Pollard and Zeke combined for 15 carries and 29 yards. You fumbled two punts on special teams. It was a bad day at the office for Dallas. And now they have the wrong kind of momentum headed into the postseason. They told me to go after the Cowboys and that that right now is in a race to the bottom. I will say this though. And I said this on my show last night. If I'm Dallas, though, you're concerned about Dak Prescott, but not for this weekend. Because <laughs> if you all think Dallas is bad, right? Like, Tampa Bay, I was trying to tell friends, you know, everyone's saying, well, Tom is the greatest. So, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have nothing to worry about. But I said, okay, take away Tom Brady, you know. Give me another <laughs> reason why you think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to beat Dallas Cowboys. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are bad up front. So they can't run the football. They can't pass protect. The wide receivers are old and slow. They can't get any separation. The defensive front that it used to be good with Vita Vea and company, they are no porous in terms of stopping run. And their secondary was always the weakness of that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. There is no level of that entire football team. When I look at the offensive line, the defensive line, the secondary, the wide receiver group, there is nothing that tells me this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team is going to beat Dallas. Like, nothing. Okay. So, now, third down, least impressive win. AJ, we start with you on this one. Who had the least impressive win to you? Man, I'm sorry to do this to one fan that we have in here, but it was the Eagles to me, you know. It was the Eagles. And, and that's not – it's not to sound bad necessarily. It's just – it is just I don't believe that that the way just wasn't impressive to me, essentially. And 
it, it was a good sign that they were still able to pull off the win as soon as Jalen Hurts got back. And I, I feel like Jalen Hurts has been making a very good case as to why he's actually the most valuable player in this league. But I don't think he will win the award. Um, I don't think they give it to him. But that Eagles win, sorry, I'm trying to pull something up here. Because there was something I wanted to point out, essentially. All right, so the, the Giants were without Saquon Barkley. And, and granted, I'm not saying, and this is something that Justin has, been, Justin has been preaching all season. Like, the Eagles aren't very adept at stopping the run. Uh, this, this, I, don't, I don't even know who this guy is, Gary Brightwell. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> They gave up 60 yards in Monogono. That's not terrible. But the fact is, in, in 11 carries, he was averaging 5.5 .5 yards a carry. Davis Webb, the quarterback, averaged 6.8 yards a carry. Uh, Matt Breeder, who, who carried the ball four times, an average of seven yards a carry. Like, the, this, is not, this is not looking good going into the playoffs. You can, do you hear the names I just called? <laughs> do you hear the names I I mean... Everybody is talking about how good the Eagles are and they're the best team in the NFC, and they very might well be in the grand scheme of things. I, I, Justin, I don't believe so either, but I'm not going to die on that hill. What I am saying is that I, I was not impressed in the manner in which this win came about leading into the playoffs. Now, they have they have the, the bye week now to, to kind of catch themselves, but if this is an issue that has been plaguing this team for the entire season, I... I I'm struggling to figure out how greatly they will be able to improve it. I mean, hope for their sake, for Dale's sake. I hope you all can. But this just was not, uh, it was not a good look. And again, you all were able to pull off the win because Davis Webb was, he was average, was, man went 23 or 40 for 168 yards. So he was barely checking down and managing the game, right? Uh, Jalen Hurts, solid on the return. No, no touchdowns. He, he threw a pick, but I mean, twenty for thirty-five, for about two, two twenty-nine. Not terrible, but you see that inability to stop the run—that is a problem. That is a problem. Definitely. So, what about you, Justin? Who did you have? I warned y'all about these Eagles, and y'all did not hear me. I told y'all that this team <laughs> cannot stop the run, and this defense is too reliant on turnovers, and it's going to cost them. They're going to get out probably, well, depends. But if they have to play the San Francisco 49ers, they do not like their chances in that NFC title game. Um, I like um, AJ going with Philadelphia. Then you had another awful win, like Miami squeezing in, struggling against the New York Jets football team that can't put the ball in the end zone for like almost three games. Um, there are other bad wins out there, but... AJ stole the best one, so I'll go to the second best one. And reality is there is no worse win in the entire NFL than the Houston Texans beating the Colts. Like, <laughs> like I mean, don't go get me wrong. Like, I put down ownership because there's no way you should let Lovey Smith know that he's not going to return next season until after the fact. Like, you wait till the game is done and then let him know. But letting him know, you're basically saying, oh, okay, I'm going to pull one last thing from my Chicago Bears, though, and give them that number one overall pick. <laughs> this is the most costly win since the New York Jets won their last game this season to miss a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence. Like, this is – no, you're in a situation. You have to hope and pray Chicago does not trade that number one overall pick, and I cannot see that as a situation. That's not going to happen. 
like everyone's going to come clamoring, whether it's Indianapolis, whether it's Washington, somebody's coming for that number one overall pick. So one of two things, you're going to have to pay to get that number one overall pick in a situation where you shouldn't have because you could have just simply lost your last two games and you wouldn't be in this situation. Or you're going to have to settle for the second best quarterback, whether that be CJ Stroh, whether that be the other kid. And the problem is we saw, again, what happened in the last draft or the draft before that when the New York Jets settled for what, who they thought was the second best quarterback in the draft and they missed it on Trevor Lawrence. I cannot think of a more costly win than this. Like, you need Bryce Young in the worst way possible. I know. I guess the defeating the Colts was worth it. <laughs> so, similar to how you guys have called some audibles on on a couple of these topics so far, I'm going to call one as well, and it's going to go in in a similar vein to what AJ said about the Eagles playing their starters. And when I talked just now about Dallas playing their starters, and this team lost their game. So it's, it's going to sound a little odd. I put them in this least impressive win category. But you see those Chargers? I have, I have to talk about these Chargers for a second, right? Like Dallas, they played their starters in a truly meaningless game against the Broncos. Now, this is, this is war game that I did not watch one second of this weekend. Why? Because the Chargers had literally nothing to play for. With a win, they were going to be fifth. With a loss, they were going to be fifth. As a club that is constantly injured, you would think that knowing you were going to Jacksonville next week, you'd want to make sure all of your horses were ready to run. That means no no Joey Bosa in this game. A man who's played all of five games this entire season. You also sit Keenan Allen and his gimpy hamstrings. You sit Mike Williams, who's missed four games this season. Hell, you'd rest everybody if you could. Because unlike in the Giants game, a win wasn't going to do the Broncos one lick of good. But for almost three quarters, the Chargers played their starters. Mike Williams got a bad injury and had to be carried off the field. As Austin Eckler took a hit that he shouldn't have had to absorb. There were concerns of an injury to Bosa, but Staley said that he was just phased out of the game, as was the plan. I mean, he's not going to say anything else at this point. Now, Staley's lack of planning almost put his team in a really, really bad spot headed into Super World Card Weekend. And his excuse of only having 48 players doesn't cut it. Last I checked, the NFL allows you 53 players on game day. So you still had enough time to decide how you were going to adjust your squad to keep men fresh, and you still lost the game. Pathetic. If you have any money, right, just put it on LA losing in Jacksonville. Like, 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 if you have money to bet this weekend, I'd, I'd, I'd go to Vegas right now and put that bet down. Like, like, and I feel safe and secure. Yeah, you, you can put your house on it. And you know, it's so. You know, I, I, well, Ken, you already know this. Justin, I don't know if you've heard me echoing this repeatedly over the last year or something. I'm not a fan of Brandon Staley, you know. I really am not. And the thing is, it's not the character of the list. Like, this is not on the Urban Meyer level, like how we feel about Urban Meyer. I think Brandon Staley truly might be a good guy. I don't think Brandon Staley is, 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 is the kind of head coach you want leading a project like this. Brandon Staley's mother is not a fan of Brandon Staley. Like, what are you 
<laughs> but I don't know what this man is be thinking. I don't know what this man is thinking. That, that, every I don't know if these men were trying to get Justin Herbert like a record or something because you know, like he he actually finished up second in competitions this season. I don't know if that's what they were trying to do or something like that, but we have bigger fish to fry though. You yeah. knew before kickoff that you didn't have to play your starters in this game because I don't. I'm trying to remember who. It, it, it was part, I don't remember who was the other team that probably could have picked them for fifth, but that team lost. So you knew well in advance of kickoff that you would not need to play your starters in this game. Even when you go to these games, you you take all the because the team that had a chance of picking them for fifth was the the Ravens, and you knew the Ravens were going in without Lamar Jackson. The Ravens had no chance of winning that game. Exactly. So you, from in the week, you could have been preparing your practice squad men to play this game. You had no reason to go to this game with 48 players dressed. Crazy. If you have 48 players dressed, you know who's the five that are not going to be dressed? Joey Bosa, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. Those five, those are your five most important players. At, at the very least. At the very least. And you still mention, and, and don't, still don't forget to mention, you have men like Khalil Mack and that sort of thing earlier. Like, there are more men that should not have been on that field. Though. Is Dermot James healthy? Because he should play either if he was healthy. He was. I, I, wasn't he? Bec- I, I'm pretty sure he, well, I know he stepped onto the field prior to the game, him being the number three, him and, and Russell at, at the center circle and they prayed and all that. So, I, I didn't watch any any bit of that game, so I, I'm not sure if he was, but he was in Chargers w- w- gear, like uniform, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure he, he probably played too. Crazy. Yeah. Nonsense. I, Brandon Steady, no, if I, we can get to him, we can get back to him in a, in a little bit. Whoa. So the biggest surprise, fourth down, let, let's wrap this part up. Who, what was the biggest surprise this weekend, Justin? We went over it already, so it won't go very far. The Detroit Lions had absolutely nothing to play for. Green Bay Packers found the way to say, wait a minute, you have nothing to play for, so let's just appear here and act like this is family night at Green Bay and suit up, <laughs> walk onto the field and expect to win. Like, like hardly anyone, and you saw the entire NBC broadcast, only think only one person picked, that was Tony Dungy, but Tony Dungy has been riding the Detroit wave for the entire year. Like, if you're not a fan of Detroit Lions, it was hard pressed for you to pick the Detroit Lions to win that game, but so happened, and I'm not going to go over that again. Sorry for anyone who missed my earlier rant, but you don't really have two rants in me right now. So, <laughs> what about you, AJ? What's your biggest surprise? Man, it was kind of along the same lines. I, I did have the lines as well, just taking all Justin um, material right now. But I would say it, it would have to be them, though. I was saying it, have to, it would have to be the lines because, again, like Justin said, they had absolutely nothing to play for, they were on the road with nothing to play for against a team who was coming in with all the momentum, who is a, a, a perennial playoff team, right? So at some point you would expect that they may have folded and covered, but nah, they saw it through. Even like I, like you said, Justin, it was family night. Jamal Williams break a ex-packer, break a whole Lions record, uh, Barry Sanders record too. Uh, <laughs> And had an emotional speech afterwards, and also this is in the Packers' house, you know. <laughs> Justin, I'm sorry. Hey, you know you're good because 
I, 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 I rattle off. I saw all of that, and I'm like, like you can't be serious. And, <laughs> yeah, I, and the yeah, you want a steady man at the helm, which Matt Lafleur kind of has his emotions in check. But what transpired in the field? I would have broken mics. I would have kicked down bottles, threw in my headset, strangled somebody. Like, and 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 we just saw calm. I'm like, huh? Like, you gotta be pissed off. Yeah. And sad to say, this current team is a reflection of how the head coach goes. Like, like where is your? But the very, I mean, and I'm one that stays away from this. You know, this thing. But who wants it more, right? Because at the end of the day, sports are won by um, the talent of players and the execution of, 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 of coaching plans. But at the end of the day, like, still, there is absolutely, I want to say no, 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 no. I don't want to say fire because there is there are times I see the emotion in Matt LaFleur, but somebody had to get slapped on the field. They would toss with me, headset, cuff Joe Barry in the guts. Some, something, <laughs> something got to happen. Like, I would have strangled Clay Walker on his way out. I would have made sure that, that he might have got to come up, call me. And that's what did they do there, son? These things and to to be so comfortable with what happened, what transpired on the field, especially they told y'all the blatant acts of ill discipline. Quay Walker from 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 Rasul Douglas, and I don't think it was Devontae Devontae. I can't remember who the other person was that took the headshot prior to to Quay Walker pushing uh, the Detroit Lions official. Like they. Those three acts of ill discipline got to lead you to hit somebody, get vexed. It's hard to say this team has picked up the culture of his head coach. And and on the flip side, let me just um, tack on to that by saying the 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 same is true, but in on the opposite end of the spectrum for the Lions. I mean, because we were all laughing at the knee the knee biting, the kneecap biting uh, um, first interview, and he's like, "All right, well, this man really coming in here to fail," but these men. The Lions are really playing for Dan Campbell. He has them as a well-oiled machine, and granted, they still are a work in progress. But these men finished with a winning record. The Detroit Lions finished with a winning record, and I, boys got them dog in them. They got they got that dog in them, and there are a lot of players there who are buying into what he's doing. Jamal Williams is one of them. He's a perfect. This man just had a stellar season where I, like nobody would would have expected this. But not from him. And again, so, I can tell you, they carry the personality of their head coach. Think, exactly. Yep. So I, I, I personally have to give a shout out to Jamal Williams because I don't, but Justin, you did not see it, but AJ and I were locked in the most epic of fantasy finals I have ever seen for all my years of playing fantasy, where I had Jamal Williams. He had Amarasit Brown. So we're yeah. both watching this game with vested interest. <laughs> because the projections the were just swinging, swinging back and back forth. Back and forth like the entire day. At because... one point, I was 99% projected to win. And then Ken, a few, a few quarters later, Ken is 99%. Yeah, Ken is 99%. I'm like, you cannot yeah, make this up. Two rushing touchdowns with 10 to put you over the top. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, yeah. at that point, with the first touchdown, it was still touch and go. Because yeah, I was, was I was leading by like a point or less than a point, and I'm I'm watching there, and that gave me that gave me the uh, the the fantasy championship over AJ. So 
Thanks, my brother. Sorry about that, but that, that's all you cookie crumble sometimes. Yeah, it's true. That's the way it goes, man. I mean, I can't, it just wasn't my year. It wasn't my year. It's true. No, for me, right? I was, I would love to have said that the Lions winning at Lambeau was going to be my biggest surprise. But to be honest, when I went through the predictor app on for NBC, I picked the Lions to win the game. So that would be disingenuous of me to sit here now and say that I thought that the Lions were not going to win. I, I picked them to win. But it's amazing that a team as poor as they are gets mentioned in three separate segments. But the Houston Texans' inability to tank properly is my pick for my biggest surprise. We've, we've talked about it quite a bit, so I'll just I'll be very quick. Houston were down seven at the end of 28 and had a win probability of 2.7%, just like me in the um, the final against AJ before they threw a Hail Mary, which resulted in a touchdown. Rodney Thomas, the second, I call his name for a reason because you should be ashamed of yourself, sir, had an, had an opportunity to knock the ball down but decided to go for the pick, missed the ball, and it fell into the lap of Jordan Aikens. Rather than kick the PAT and go to overtime, Lovey Smith decides to go for two. The Colts coverage completely breaks down and Aikens is wide open in the end zone for a successful try. The Colts crumble, the Texans win. And by virtue of their win, you know, they tied <laughs> the first game of the season. And they're now a half game better than the Chicago Bears, who, as we've said before, have the number one pick in the upcoming draft. This is probably why Lovey Smith got fired. Hey, that leads us into Black Monday. So coined because this is usually the time, as I mentioned before, when head coaches of struggling teams are told that their services are no longer required the first day after the NFL season is, or the regular season is complete. During the season, we saw Frank Wright, Matt Rule, remember him, <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett, I completely forgot about him when I was putting this together, by the way. They got the boot. And then on Sunday night, not even in making it to Black Monday, was Lovey Smith getting the can by the Texans. On Monday, we heard that Cliff Kingsbury was also kicked to the curb, and the GM Steve Kame, or Kame had agreed to step down due to health reasons. The Browns have fired their defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, Atlanta's defensive coordinator, Dean Pease. He's retired, 72 years old. I mean... After seeing what Atlanta did this season, I'd want to retire too. And Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator Todd Doning also got fired. So the question is, gentlemen, are we surprised by any of these names that got fired? Uh, what, what I will say is I, there was a bit of surprise, but at the same time, not surprised with the Kingsbury thing. I, 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 I'm... It, I was, I was kind of surprised that it happened so swiftly following the end of the regular season. But then, like, on, honestly, like, about an hour later after I thought about it, I'm like, okay, he was going to get fired. Like, it, it was always incoming, um, especially with all that stuff that happened during the season just with Kyler and whatnot, because they're not going to, they, yeah, they're going to hold on to that number one pick and fire the coach and bring someone else in. So it wasn't that surprising, but I, I guess I wasn't expecting that news to come that early. Like so, so soon after the, the the end of that regular season, with everything else now, I mean, we all knew Lovey Smith was going to be one and done with the with the offensive and defensive coordinators and whatnot. I like 
yeah, and jobs is always be on the line. You have a bad year and you, you flip somebody there. So I can't say I'm too surprised at anything else. <laughs> what I'm most surprised about is I'm pretty sure the one that Justin's going to get into. So I'm not even going to say anything. I'm going to let him have that one. Yeah, Justin, go right ahead, sir. So with the actual firings, nothing was like AJ said, no surprises there. Um, they had to know that Houston is just putting placeholders until they can get the coach that they wanted and the draft pick that they wanted. So, you know, with the black coach before Lovey Smith and no Lovey Smith himself, like we all knew it was one and done. They were just waiting to get who they wanted. They really wanted Josh McDaniels. That didn't work out. And we know they want Josh McCown now. So they're going they they're just waiting and, and biding time. Um with the Cliff Kingsbury situation, you had to see that from like early in the season. By the time Arizona did not taste early success, then you heard about the rumors between or the rift between him and, and Kyler Murray. And we all know about all this childlike behavior that Kyler's been getting all with. Like you had to know that the writing was on the wall as much as that extension, the ink on that is probably not even dry as yet, but <laughs> they knew that writing was on the wall. Um I know a lot of people were wondering, you know, maybe about Ron Rivera, but you have to remember that they are in a bit of a transition, an ownership transition. So, like, there's no one there to get rid of the the head coach and the general manager or team president is a black man. So, he's going to find it hard to remove another minority in the lack of stable ownership right now. So, I kind of figured Ron Rivera was safe for another season or at least a half season. So, to the point that AJ is waiting for me to get to, and I will get to this. No, I knew... He wouldn't be fired because he has 13, 13 and 3, 13 and 3, and 13 and 4 seasons prior. But when he was finally as a coach without any type of talent or a ton of talent, you saw what Matt LaFleur was not, and which is not, which is a good coach. And to those who said, well, he had those three straight 13 win seasons, he also had a ton of talent behind him, like, and those guys are gone. There's no Devontae Adams, as we all know. There's no Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, Corey Lindsley is now in Chicago. Oh, sorry, in LA. You lost your offensive coordinator in Nathaniel Hackett. Quarterbacks coach Luke Getz, he's also gone. And I see all that, and all of those things should have told you how your makeup of your team should be. Um, two things in coaching, right, is you should never come with a preconceived notion of what you're going to do. You have to see what your team is. And then you make your game plans as your team. And then part of that is you have to put your best players in a position to succeed. I say all that to see at the start of the season, I had the luxury of going to two training camps. And when I saw this Packers team, it was quite obvious to me that this Packers team needed to be a run first team. I thought that was obvious. And just look at the roster, right? Your two best skill position players are two running backs, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Your best wide receiver in your estimation. The thing he does best is run block. Alan Lazard is arguably the best run blocking wide receiver in the entire NFL. Then how do you get Bernard? Am I gone? Yeah, you are stuck there for a second, but you're about now. Right. How do you get Christian Watson behind defense? Or get Burners behind the defense? You go play action. You run, 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 and then the defense comes up to the lane and you get your Burners behind people. 
you were missing to start the season or like Elton Jenkins was coming back from injury, so too was David Bakhtiari, your two best pass blocking um, offensive linemen. One left tackle, one left. There's no Corey Lindsay, as I said, and then you would have been starting either Josh Neyman and or Zach Tom on the right side. Everything told you, or everything should have told you, this needed to be a run-first offense. They thought that was obvious. And it took to the Dallas game, like week 10, for that to finally hit the floor. Now, maybe it's a situation where Aaron Rodgers was calling the players himself, changing things, and calling situations, but I cannot understand for the life of me how you do not look at this team, realize it should be a run-first team led by Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, and you do this. Even in that Detroit game last night, you saw it. Like I talked about it. You get in the red zone where you've had struggles this season. You know you want to run the football and pound it because you don't trust your targets in the red zone. So then what should you do? You should come up with a big jumbo package. Even if you throw the ball, have the threat of running the football. Nope. You come out in these three wide receiver, four wide receiver sets in shotgun. And then expect A.J. Dillon with no one blocking no back in front of him blocking or no head of steam from a dead stop to be able to get through Detroit's strength, which is our defensive lane. Like, like, this is bordering on incompetence. I would have to think that if I had the Green Bay Packers, right, that the offense would not look like this because I would understand what it looks like. But again, I knew because this is not our culture to be changing coaches quickly uh, because he had three straight 13 win seasons behind him that he would be safe yeah so i i quietly switched the um the thing here from surprises to who deserve a pink slip because i knew that you were coming with a pink slip for matt lafleur <laughs> so aj who else do you think should have gotten a pink slip and did not get one uh I would like Brandon Steady to get it, but the fact that he eked into the playoffs means that he has justification for being on that long. Um, I, I don't know if I... I feel like there were a lot of other situations. in which, Firstly, you know what? I, I, I kind of want to add on to something Justin just said, because with, with regards to your comment, Justin, sorry, before I get back to this, with regards to your comment about y'all being a run-first team, I'm not going to lie, Justin. I thought that that's what y'all were going to be. I honestly thought, I to the point where... And, and yes, I'm about to mention fantasy, but because I relate it to, to what I expect to see in real life, I drafted AJ Dillon, AJ Dillon in about three leagues because I was like, all right, this is the year where we're going to see more of that tandem, right? And he's more of a, a, bruise, a bruising back. Like, like he could take more, um, run more inside um, than Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, you know, you um, spit him outside sometimes and he would take them checkdowns and whatnot. Off them screens. And whatnot. But... I was like, I, I was expecting to see that a bit more. And then obviously you still have Aaron Rodgers there, but I, I figured that, that he would be the X factor to a, a run first offense. I, I'm, I'm, so, I mean, the fact that you, you obviously know your Packers better than I do, but you're saying that you saw this, I saw this too. I don't know how in the heck that y'all didn't end up having that kind of identity. It was... But then again, you know, like I said, I was trying to let you get that out. That was your therapy. Um, to the question though, Ken, I, I don't know if there. Looking at it, I'm not sure if there are many other names I would specifically because even looking at like the Bears themselves, who were terrible this year, 
a lot of that could fall on not just the head coach, but the fact that, I mean, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll throw him in. I'll throw him in. I will throw him in. Because while I think that the Bears do need to add, what is this guy's name again? Eberflus. Eberflus. I, I, let me put it this way. I would not have been surprised if he would have been given the pink slip. Let me know. I don't want to call for the man's job because there are things deeper at play here. But the team had absolutely no identity besides Justin Fields running around. And and I like it it does come down to Ryan Pose as GM being able to like build a team. And you could tell that they're trying to build a young team, right? But at the same time, even with with Pose during the season going out and trading for Chase Claypool, the this team was just not well or like they they were <laughs> and I'm not saying that was the greatest move, but but the GM was actually kind in a sense you can say he was trying. He's trying I'm, something. So, like something. I don't think that was that was the best move either, but hey, um I don't know that Evil Flus had any sort of like inkling as to as to what exactly was supposed to be taking place in that organization. I Again, I understand it that they're going to give him time, but I feel like him being handed that slip would not have surprised me if had it come true. Okay. <clears throat> so, for me, somebody that. All right. Let me let me just read my notes here <laughs> before I before I slip off into a tangent and a rant. I have no problem with keeping Dennis Allen, who is the current head coach of my New Orleans Saints, because he stepped up from DC, the head coach, and tried his best to keep the continuity going in New Orleans after we lost our Hall of Fame quarterback and head coach in successive seasons. That's where the positivity ends, fellas. Pete Carmichael should resign before he's fired. He was the last coordinator to agree to come back and the offense he put together this season, first with Jameis and then with Andy Dalton, was not good enough. The feature performer of our offense, who is supposed to be Alvin Kamara, too often was an afterthought. You see Green Bay, Green Bay or San Francisco using their best playmakers, their top running backs, in a variety of ways and get the ball to them where they can make something happen. Be it split them out wide, you work out some screens, bubble screens, what have you, to get the ball in their hands. And they can do great things when the ball is in their hand, and Carmichael did not. Yes, Alvin has that case in Vegas pending. But you do not act like if the best player on your team is gone until he's actually gone. We know that a suspension is probably pending. So maybe if you want to see how you're going to perform when he's not there, you wait until he's not there. I see a lot of that. I'm constantly getting questions because you know where I live? I'm in, I'm in Denver and I'm constantly getting questions about, hey, we're hearing about Sean Payton potentially coming to Denver. How do you feel about that? Do you think it's going to be good? And I have to keep telling folks, I'm trying my best not to have negative feelings towards Sean Payton because Sean Payton left me high and dry after putting me in cap hell and putting all of that money into some Hill's hands. And now we, I then decided that he had had enough. Ah, so yes, that that is one person that I am waiting to see is gone. 
somebody, and I also agree that Brian is steady. I I would still fire him regardless of if they make it to the playoffs or not. I would still fire him as soon as they lose this game this weekend. Team has too much talent on offense and defense to be struggling like this every year. And as you said, Justin, while the situation in in Washington is not ideal, I believe that Ron Rivera probably should be fired too. Like, right, he can't get a quarterback he can trust and is 22 and 27 in his three seasons there. The closest that they've come to a winning season was this year when they finished 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. And on they, top of that, two weeks out, they know that you could be eliminated with a Green Bay win. Like, you actually publicly admit that on top of them bringing back Carson Wentz in must-win games. Like, mm. like, exactly. They, they found in a in a season that has an odd number of games, they found a way to go 500. <laughs> the Commanders have too much mess on their hands right now, and like Lovey did for Houston, Rivera gives them a credibility that they otherwise will not have with a lesser name at head coach. But after the sale of the team is completed, I will not be surprised if he is the first coach that is fired. All right, Jace. So, before we get out of here, let's look ahead to the playoffs because the playoffs are starting this week. And there was a nice graphic that NBC gave us on Sunday night to let us know that um, who is playing when because that was the question. <laughs> we knew who was getting in, but we didn't know when the games were going. So, for those of you, for your viewing pleasure on Saturday, 4.30 Eastern, Seattle Seahawks travel to the San Francisco 49ers. And then uh, the that's on Fox. And on NBC and Peacock, at 8.15 Eastern, we have the Chargers going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. On Sunday, we have three games. The Miami Dolphins are going to the Buffalo Bills at 1 Eastern on CBS. Fox has the Giants going to the Vikings at 4.30 Eastern. And Baltimore and Cincinnati are the NBC and Peacock game. That's at 6.15 Eastern. And then on Monday, we have a game on ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, and ESPN+, Plus, which is the Dallas Cowboys versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, which game are you anticipating the most? And AJ, I'll start with you on this one. Well, my answer is going to tie in a lot of the stuff that we said. Because there's a coach in this game who should be on the line if... if his team loses, and that is Mike McCarthy. And that is the game I'm most interested in seeing this weekend. And, and Justin, I'm not sure if you saw my comment yesterday, but when JT said this on your show last night, I, I actually responded, I was like, I completely agree. This is the match I'm looking forward to mostly. About two or three weeks ago, it could have been about two weeks ago, I was talking to a, a hardcore like Dallas um, Cowboys fan. You know, you know that one team he told me that he did not want to see in the playoffs? It was the Bucs. It was the Buccaneers just because of Tom Brady. And, and Justin, I, earlier you were saying that outside of Tom Brady, like there's no reason for you to believe that the Bucs can win this game. And you're absolutely correct. There is no other reason. But Tom Brady is a huge reason. Tom Brady is a huge enough reason for me. 7-0 versus the Cowboys in his career, right? This is including the playoffs. And you know, early in the season, Ken mentioned that the cliff is here, and, and I, I had to refute that. I still don't think that the cliff is here. 
he's clearly on a decline. I think he's gotten to that stage in his career where we, where we can all see that he is declining a bit, especially in the arm strength and all that. But did you know that as this season has concluded, Tom Brady has actually set the season record in the NFL, not just this season, like an NFL record for completions and attempts. He just set that record. On the flip side, you know who's leading the league in interceptions? Dak Prescott. The man who missed, the quarterback who missed games is, is joint leader in interceptions in this league, in, in the NFL, right? Again, the Cowboys are a, a, an overall better team, um, offense, defense, even special teams. Like, there's nothing about the Bucs that says that they should or can or can win this game outside of Tom Brady. But for me, that is big enough. Like, all of the other games, I think, could be uh, uh, um, a little bit more evenly matched. Or like, like, there's there there are more, there are more other story like there there's, there are other storylines in these other games. But you see this this matchup just because of Tom Brady's record against these Cowboys, just because of the fact that I know there was a a, a diehard Cowboys fan who's quivering in his boots just because he knows that this terrible team uh, um, that that is led by Tom Brady uh, is going to be on the other side of the field from them, just because of Tom Brady's record against the Dallas Cowboys. The perennial underachievers for the, for the vast majority of our lives. And this makes it the most intriguing matchup to me. And and because I don't think any of us had this discussion, we don't really rate Mike McCarthy. And we're just talking about things. If Mike McCarthy, is, let's, let's, let's bear in mind, the NFC South was terrible this year, right? The Bucks won this with a losing record. So despite them even being division winners, they're going into this game as dogs. If Mike McCarthy loses this game, he has no reason to be an NFL coach. For that, at least take, an, take, take the next year off. At least. Let people, let this get out of people's system. Like, let them forget that you just lost a terrible team. That's, that's if he loses. This is why, to me, this is the most intriguing matchup this weekend. That's what I'm looking forward to mostly. Spoken like a true Brady disciple. So... Justin, who, what game are you looking forward to the most this weekend? Initially, yesterday, it was seeing the Chargers, Jaguars, right? But I had to remember the Chargers, right? And as JT would say, the most Charger thing to do is to go into Jacksonville and get blown out. And guess what? They were at home earlier this season and got blown out by four touchdowns to the same Jaguars team that was not even good back then. Well, I'm no longer for that team or that game. I expect him, Brandon Staley, to do what he does best, find ways to lose games. So is the potential return of Lamar Jackson in a rivalry game against the Cincinnati Bengals? That's what I'm looking forward to most. Like, if he doesn't return, I don't want to see it. Like, I really don't. But I want to see, like, just how much Lamar Jackson truly means his Ravens team. And if he is, like, He's a special talent. There's no argument. There's no debating that. And I just want to see, is he good enough against a Bengals team? I think has won eight straight, no, to lift Baltimore in essentially was a division game because that's what it is. Yeah, that, that's a game I'm looking forward to. So like Dale, Dale says he wants to see Trevor Lawrence again. This is actually, to me, this is probably the game that has the most intrigue only because... I have absolutely no idea what the hell we're going to see on Saturday night. 
Now, Dale says he wasn't impressed with his last win. Trevor Lawrence really did not have the greatest game in his last game. But he did what was necessary, which was he quarterbacked his team to a win to get him into the playoffs. No, this is probably going to be one of the quarterback battles that we are going to be able to enjoy for the next decade. Provided that Jacksonville doesn't do a Jacksonville thing and get rid of Trevor Lawrence or Trevor Lawrence forces his way out of Jacksonville. But we have Justin Herbert, who is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. We have Trevor Lawrence, who started to show glimpses of what everybody expected him to be from the time he was at Clemson. Everybody knows I'm not the biggest Trevor Lawrence fan, but I have to give credit where credit is due, and he's been playing extremely well coming into the playoffs. This game is going to have a lot riding on it, not necessarily for Doug Peterson, because Doug Peterson, he's a made man. He already has a Super Bowl win, and he came in, and he has cleaned up the mess that was left by Urban Meyer. But Brandon still needs to find a way to win this game. He has to. Because you found a win not to make it into the playoffs last season. You've backed into the playoffs this season. You can't go now and get blown out in Jacksonville. So they have to find a way to play well. Even if they get beat, they have to find a way to play well in this game. Now, lastly, upset. You know, there's always upsets on World Care Weekend. Who, Justin, is on upset alert? I'm sure I know who you're coming with, but I'm still going to give you the chat. Who's an upset alert for this weekend? Be seriously going to answer this question. There's a, there's more than one team. Is it Minnesota Vikings? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, this is as straightforward as it is. So I will save you an agent to tell you to answer this question. Like, it has to be in Minnesota. And I'm not here telling you that I have this huge faith in New York. What I can tell you is that these two teams played not too long ago. And it took every ounce of Greg Joseph and his, 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 his stubborn leg for Minnesota to get past New York. This is a Minnesota team, right, guys? I, don't, I know y'all don't realize this. They are 13 and 4 and have given up more points than they have scored. That is correct. They have a minus three net rating on the season. To put that in context, the Detroit Lions, who are not in the playoffs, have a better net rating than the Minnesota Vikings. The Green Bay Packers, my Green Bay Packers, who are also on the outside looking in, with a losing record, are minus one. The Minnesota Vikings are minus three. This not for winning all of these close games, and they won 11. 11 of their 13 wins are by one score, which is an NFL record. How much longer will that last? Like The law of averages tells me that at some point, especially when you get in the playoffs and you're actually facing good teams, that you cannot continually rely on winning one-score games. It's got to be the Minnesota Vikings. Like They already have problems stopping the run. Their secondary is atrocious. Granted, New York doesn't have any outside weapons, but guess who they do have, though? They have Saquon Barkley. And you best believe that is a heavy dose of Saquon Barkley coming. Guys, I don't have the huge faith in New York, but I have even less faith in the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, do you agree? Retweet. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, look, I just kind of waxed poetically about the Bucks potentially upsetting the Cowboys, right? But my number one pick was going to be the, the one that would not shock me at all. The upset would be the Vikings losing, and and it, it what I was going to mention too is is what Justin just said, like not not the net. I, I like I didn't even know about that, but more so the fact that defensively they had. I think during the regular season, I'm pretty sure that their secondary was ranked 32nd. I'm pretty sure they gave up the most yards to receivers. Like I it can it was. It was a foregone conclusion. Any receiver that was playing them, I was putting into my fantasy team. And I was living that week too. Yeah, easily too. Easily too. That much I knew. And for a team that has actually what, what, is, what should be such a good tandem, even though they don't use them in that regard at running back, because Madison is, is a very capable deputy to yes. Dalvin Cook. For, for a team that has that, like, um, uh, um, wep- those weapons on their offense, they were not very good running the football this year either. As another, so it, it, it really seems a case of, all right, if you could take Justin Jefferson out of the game, then in, in, in that respect, that's it. That you, you have everything else capable of beating them. And like Justin said as well, I don't even have that much faith in, in the Giants as an organization. You, you all know I can't stand the Giants for obvious reasons, but <laughs> I just have, uh, I have less faith in the Vikings to be able to overcome this because you're looking at trying to take Saquon Barkley, offensively that is, trying to take Saquon Barkley out of a game as opposed to trying to take Justin Jefferson. Uh, Justin Jefferson is incredible, but it's a, it's a much tougher task to get Saquon down. So you said, you, you said retweet, right? I'm not going to belabor the point. All I'm going to say to what you guys just said is hashtag primetime Kirk. Cousins. <laughs> Can't trust him when the lights are on and everybody's going to be watching. So, yeah. Probably not going to be saying that the Vikings are going to win this week. I think that's a great spot that we can land this week's episode, gentlemen. We have we've talked about a lot. We didn't even get to talk about DeAndre Hopkins potentially getting <laughs> traded from from Arizona, we have to leave that for another week. But we, nah, we... I, you know, I kind of wanted to mention this too. I'm sorry. Sure. I, Go ahead. You know that a few years ago, I defended Arizona when they gave Steve Wilkes the boot and kicked Josh Rosen out the door. Mm-hmm. Because my the, the thought process was, well, okay, well, we're going to start this thing over fresh. Like Kyler Murray was the the we knew everyone knew that Kyler Murray was going to be that number one pick. You're like, all right, we have the pick. We'll start over with Kyler Murray, and we'll bring in a, 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 a younger, more, should be a more offensive-minded coach to work along with him. So I, I didn't mind, even though that Steve Wilkes is, is a blackhead coach, I, I, I kind of understood the reasoning because their offense was inept under him, right? We wanted to go more offensive. The league is going a lot more offensive. Fair enough. But the way that this organization is being run, I, like, I really do not understand what the Cardinals are doing. I don't understand what the Cardinals are doing. And the, when that when that came out today, I don't know if it's a case of like trying to not have to pay D Hop. But okay, so you got rid of the head coach. Your there were so many issues with your quarterback <laughs> and the homework clause. You know, him <laughs> basically saying that he needs to, to do more 
uh, um, to, to get to the level where he should be at. I know in addition to all that, we're getting rid of his weapons. I, I, and I, I ain't going to defend it anymore, but I'm really confused as to where this organization is headed. I mean, even the, even, even the Lions on the up, like the, I, thought, I thought that after this season, I mean, and the, the Bears, we know the Bears are rebuilding. I thought that after this season, the Houston Texans would be the only joke of an organization in the NFL, but the Cardinals are swiftly trying to fight them for that title. Like ferociously trying to take that title from them. I just sorry, I just had to add in that because it, it, just after you mentioned the D Hop thing, it, it jogged my memory. I I don't understand it at all. Somebody had to explain that one to me. Huh? All it is right now is that Arizona is tearing everything down to the studs because Kyler Murray is hurt. He's going to miss the beginning of next season. We don't know what they're going to look to do at quarterback because they just gave him all that money, but he can't stay on the field. His head coach is gone. The GM is gone. We just saw um, JJ Watt retire. Shout outs to him. Congrats on a fantastic career. I had something else for him too, but I'll save that for another week. Um, but right now, Arizona, all they can be looking at right now is probably getting rid of everybody everything on that team and just trying to rebuild from scratch because what else could they be doing uh, well so that's what it looks like but then the only thing i was wondering is if you're doing that are you starting over completely and getting rid of kyler murray as well or trying to trade him out or something that, that yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of confused as to, to the, the process here because no because there are reports that kyler murray is going to have a say in the head coaching search oh. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Okay. Yes. So well. Arizona, Arizona right now is a is a muddled mess. But, I mean, if nothing else, they give us contact, right, for both our teams. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> so, so Justin, before we get out of here, let folks know where they can find you as always. So thanks a lot as usual for having me. Oh, you know, I always enjoy my time here. Can't can't miss an invite when I'm coming here, and. You know, like other people do, I will do this as this for, for this show. If you're watching, please, and you're not subscribed, please subscribe to Green Beige Podcast. Please, 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 please. Like you're here now, just hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. And when you do that, now come and look for us. Hashtag this just in. We are on YouTube every Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central for short form content. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter daily. Hashtag this just in. Do not forget the hashtag because you don't want Max Kellerman. You want the real this just in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, indeed. And well, of course, hashtag this just in is a great time. We always have a wonderful time whenever we go. You you tend to see the, the polished and professional Ken and AJ on Green Beach. But when we get on, hashtag this just in, chances yeah, anything goes. The Boston Gloves come out because at least there we have a referee. Over here, I'm the referee. So we can't we can't get too wild here. Or, otherwise, we would never end. But we do want to recommend hashtag this just in every Monday. Check it out. I mean, you can see what Justin says on Monday and see if we agree on Tuesday. <laughs> that, that will always be a good time. So for the Green Beige Podcast, as always... 
that is AJ. We thank you, Justin, again for joining us. I am Ken. I am the Bidge. And we will see you next time.